I'd like to welcome everybody to the Abbey. And uh, it's time for our Dharma talk. Um, before we have Dharma talks, we usually sit for a minute and cultivate our motivation to make sure that we're approaching the topic correctly. So come back to your breaths just for a moment. Let your mind relax. And then let's consider our fortune at having this precious human life with the possibility to gain spiritual attainments, to understand the nature of reality, to realize impartial love and compassion for all beings. And so, having a sense of our great fortune, let's make a strong determination to use our life wisely and in a meaningful way. And especially by progressing along the path to full awakening, so that we can have all the qualities necessary to really contribute to the well-being of each and every living being. So let's have that be our intention for sharing the Buddhist teachings or the Dharma together this morning. Using the book Buddhism for Beginners, right? Uh, does anybody have it here? It's in our dining room too, and you don't need to go get it. Um, so we've been going through that, and each month talking about a different topic. And so last. Uh, month we talked about selflessness and the nature of reality and this month uh, I think the next chapter is on karma so that's a very very interesting topic and I was thinking this morning that while the name karma is uh, something that may be new to many people the whole idea of karma is is not very new I think most religions have it not in the same form as Buddhism has, not in exactly the same meaning, but some rendition. Okay? So the idea being that uh, our actions and our thoughts have uh, an ethical dimension and they bring results. So you can see that in Christianity, it says you reap what you sow. And I think all the major religions talk something about that. Okay, the the uh, value of ethical conduct uh, now and in the future. So that's related to the idea of, of karma in Buddhism, where karma simply means uh, volitional actions. Yeah, it's not something esoteric and weird and mysterious. It's what we're doing all day long. Is we're acting. 
we're creating actions. Yeah. So there's physical actions that we do with our body, verbal actions with what we say, mental actions by our thoughts and our intentions. And so these our actions aren't kind of isolated, unrelated little blips in the universe that don't have causes and don't have results. But actually they're very much embedded in this whole system of uh, cause and result, the whole system of causality. So, uh, in a Buddhist sense, you know, we do actions. Uh, these actions don't, you know, the action may, itself may end, but it leaves some kind of, I guess you could call it energy trace, to talk in vague language. Um, you know, we often call it a karmic imprint or a karmic seed. In other words, it, it leaves something on the mind stream. And we can see that, you know, when you do certain actions, afterwards the action's over, but it's affected you, hasn't it? You know? I mean, if our actions don't affect us, why do we do them? We do actions for certain purposes because we want certain results. We want our actions to affect us in certain ways. That's why we do them. The thing is that um, in our, you know, when we're ordinary, unaware living beings, we're only thinking of the effects of our actions in terms of this particular life. Yeah, And we're not thinking of how our actions of this life affect our future lives or how our actions of this life influence our ability to gain spiritual attainments. Okay? So we say that the actions cease, but this you know, continuity of the energy, the karmic seed or the karmic imprint, uh, continues. And then when it reaches, you know, when it is, uh, finds itself in all the cooperative conditions for the seed to ripen, then it brings its result. And so everything we're experiencing in our life is in one way or another connected to actions we've done in the past. In other words, things don't happen to us accidentally. It's not kind of like random or causeless or whatever. And, you know, I mean, we can see that because in our whole life, we do things to get certain results. We believe in causality, don't we? Yeah. I mean, if getting a job didn't depend on having an education and filling out a job application and having the skills for the job, then nobody would study or, or, or go to vocational school or fill out an application because you would just get a job randomly. Yeah, when did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> okay? So we see, you know, we're very much embedded in a system of causality. And the, the idea of karma and its effects is the system of causality, but that is operating, you know, on, on another kind of level. In other words, where our actions have an ethical dimension that influence what we experience either later on in this life 
or in future lives. And so um, that's why when you know, people ask Buddhists, uh, oh, what about creation? We say, well, our mind is the creator because our mind creates actions. And our actions influence what we experience. So there's no external creator who is who invented the rules or who judges people or who says you're going to heaven and you're going to hell. But rather, it's just this natural process of causality that works within our minds so that what we do brings results. Hmm? And when we get a handle on this idea, it's, it's really interesting because we begin to see that we can create the causes for the kind of things that we want to happen. We may not be able to control when those events happen, but we can definitely create the causes for them. And we can also purify any causes we may have created for suffering, you know, causes created in the past, so that we don't experience that suffering in the future. So the whole idea of karma is not cast in concrete. Yeah, anything involving causality is a dependently arising process. As soon as you have dependent arising, you have flux, you have many different factors, you know, playing together to produce a result. Yeah, things aren't cast in concrete. This is very important because sometimes, uh, you know, we we hear people talk about karma, you know, people who don't understand well, talk about karma as if it were fate or destiny, you know, kind of, oh, those people died because of their karma, like nothing could have been done, you know, or those people are happy because of their karma, meaning somehow they got lucky. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so His Holiness Dalai Lama says that very often, uh, you know, those of us who don't understand karma well actually use the word when to mean I don't know. Like, why did that happen? Oh, it's karma. Meaning, I don't know. <laughs> we just kind of blame karma or attribute it to karma in one way or another. Not, ex you know, it's not exactly that simple, <laughs> okay? And like I said, karma isn't fate. It isn't, you know, like, uh, yeah, cast in stone. But there's flux in it, yeah? Okay, so um, the idea being that uh, when sentient beings experience happiness, the Buddha... Uh, saw what kind of actions they created that brought the result of happiness, any of the various different kinds of happiness. And he called those actions virtuous or wholesome or positive actions. Okay. When sentient beings, living beings, experience suffering, the actions that caused those were called non-virtuous or unwholesome or negative or destructive actions. Okay, 
So the idea being that what is virtuous and not virtuous does not exist in and of itself as some kind of uh, unrelated reality. But things are termed virtuous or non-virtuous because they bring certain results. Yeah. So the Buddha did not make up this system at all. He merely described, okay, somebody's having happiness, we cause the karma we call the karma cause for that virtue. Somebody's miserable, we call the karma cause for that non-virtue or destructive actions. Okay? And one individual can create lots of constructive actions, lots of destructive actions. In fact, I think most of us have, and most of us do. Okay? So when you see sentient beings in that way, then you can't say that somebody is evil. Yeah, because saying somebody's evil would mean they only create destructive actions, and it's impossible for them to create any constructive or virtuous ones. And that's totally false. Everybody has the ability to create virtue, you know, because we all have certain virtuous, constructive mental factors in our mind that can't be removed, that are just part of the mind, okay? So we can't say that a person is evil. All we can do is say that actions are harmful, or actions are non-virtuous. Similarly, we can't say, you know, when we're talking about ordinary beings, oh, that person is 100% good. Yeah. Because while we ordinary beings are influenced by our ignorance, not everything is going to be 100% virtuous. Now, after we free our mind from ignorance, then it's a different story. Okay. But while our mind is still under the influence of ignorance and clinging attachment and anger, you know, then sometimes we, we act with a, a good intention, sometimes we act with a bad one. So we create all sorts of different kinds of karma. And so karma is very, re- our, our actions are very related to our intentions, to our motivation. Yeah. Why are we doing what we're doing? What is our intention? So whenever I go to NIC, I talk about this a lot somehow. It just seems to happen every time I give a talk at NIC. I don't know why, but uh, some of you have been there at the talks many times. And, um, you know, just to get us used to looking at what's going on in my mind and what are my intentions. Because that's the principal thing that influences the kind of results we're going to experience from our actions. When we create different actions, uh, the karmic seeds or the karmic imprints don't get lost. Yeah? They uh, remain affiliated with our mind stream until they ripen and bring their results. So they're not, you know, karma isn't like computer files. You know how your computer files get lost? <coughs> Just they're gone. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah? You save them and they're gone. <laughs> okay. So unfor- or, or, fortunately or unfortunately, our karma 
is not like that. You know, we both our virtuous and non-virtuous actions leave these seeds of imprints on our mind stream. So here's is where you know if we know about karma, we can be really skillful in in how we deal with things. So in the case of virtuous karma, positive karma, if we want to preserve it, you know, so that it, it doesn't get damaged or destroyed, then it's very important to dedicate it towards our spiritual aspirations, or if you want to, towards worldly aspirations. But if you dedicate for spiritual aspirations, the worldly things get fulfilled, you know, by the way. If you just dedicate for the worldly aspirations, the spiritual ones don't come about. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's why at the end of, of all of our sessions and whatever, we have a brief dedication, yeah, which is, is like rejoicing and then really steering how we want our virtuous actions to ripen. Okay, so that protects them. If we don't dedicate them, then they're open to getting damaged. Those positive karmic seeds are open to getting damaged by uh, anger or wrong views. So we have to be really careful of what we get angry about, you know, because you can feel that in your mind. You know, after you, after you've like really lost it and exploded in anger. Okay, remember a time when you did that? That's happened to all of us. Okay. Afterwards, don't you feel like somehow strange inside? Yeah? Like some something isn't right? Yeah? I think that comes about because we've destroyed some of our virtue, our virtuous karma, by getting angry. Yeah? So we have to be quite careful about our anger and wrong views. In the... Um, as for destructive karma, yeah, uh, we certainly don't dedicate it because we don't want it to happen. Yeah, and it's not going to disappear like our computer files. But we can uh, apply remedies or antidotes that will lessen the effect or even completely cut the unpleasant or suffering effect of our negative actions. And so that's where a practice that we call purification practice comes in. You know, and it's done with four opponent powers of regretting our, our action, uh, restoring the relationship with whoever we harmed in our mind, um, having a determination not to do the action again, and then doing some kind of remedial behavior. And so those four together act as a way that uh, impedes the ripening of our negative karma. So that, you know, it won't ripen for a long time, so that means it gives us a while to do more purification, or when it ripens, the result doesn't last for long, or it isn't a terrible suffering result. And then after we get very, very skilled in purification, and when we realize the nature of reality, then we can actually... Uh, burn the karmic seeds completely so that they don't ripen at all. And burn the negative karmic seeds completely. Yeah, not positive ones, the negative ones, okay? So, when we have this kind of awareness, the way it influences us, 
is it makes us much more attentive to what our intentions are. It makes us pause and think, why am I doing what I'm doing? What's going to be the long-term result of my actions? Not just the short-term, immediate result. What's going to be the long-term result of my actions? Am I about to engage in something that's going to benefit me and others in the long term? Or maybe I'm about to engage in something that's going to benefit me in the short term, but harm me in the long term. Okay? So we, we have that kind of thing, even in an ordinary way. Okay? Now I'm not talking about karma here, but to give an example, sometimes we do things that benefit us in the short term, but not in the long term. You know, like we eat our favorite foods that are filled with sugar and grease and fat and everything that's, that's not good for you. So it, it benefits us and gives us happiness in the short term. But in the long term, we're going to have high blood, pressure, high blood pressure, weight problems, you know, maybe diabetes, all sorts of other, you know, health difficulties. Okay? So you can see in that kind of situation, okay, there's short-term benefit, but long-term loss. Yeah. So what is it wise to do? It's wiser to eat healthy, isn't it? Does our wisdom always prevail? <laughs> okay. But slowly we can make more stronger and stronger determinations so that our wisdom prevails, so that we eat properly, we get enough exercise and so on. Okay. Now, let's take that example into the karmic realm. You know, on the short term, uh, sometimes if we uh, cheat other people or lie to other people, we may get some immediate benefit. We cover up what, what we did that we don't want them to know about, or we get more money, you know. So it benefits us immediately. But in the long term, yeah, we're putting these uh, seeds of negative karma in our mind stream that are going to ripen. And so they ripen in terms of uh, the kind of rebirth we take, what we experience, the kind of place we're born into. So our actions can have all sorts of different ramifications in our future lives. So in the same way, if we really care about ourselves in the long term, and in the long term want ourselves to be well and happy, then, you know, for a little bit of short-term benefit, we're not going to, you know, let our mind run, run, run wild because we see that creating negative actions now, we may get something immediately, but in the long term, you know, it's going to bring its results. Okay? So this, you know, influences how we live. It makes us stop and really think. You know, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And the more we're able to stop and think and the more we're able to evaluate our own actions before doing them, then not only are we going to benefit in our future lives from it, but even in this life we're going to benefit. 
Because if we look, even this lifetime, how come we often find ourselves having so many difficulties? Doesn't it have to do sometimes with the way we act? Yeah? Like when people criticize us, we often feel, oh, well, they're criticizing me for no reason. But if we stop and look, maybe there is a reason. Maybe we weren't doing what we were supposed to be doing, or we didn't fulfill our promises, or we did something really mean to the other person. Yeah? So even in this life, we can see that, you know, when we have difficulties, it so often is related to our actions. So the more we are able to fine-tune our ethical conduct and, and refrain from doing the actions that bring problems in this life and future lives, then the more we're kind of taking control over our life and lives. And we're able to create the causes for what we want and steer those causes to ripen in the way we want. Okay? So that's something really good. That gives us a lot of ability and power, doesn't it? Whereas if we just see the world as, well, you know, why am I unhappy? Well, it's everybody else's fault. <laughs> yeah? Or why am I happy? Well, just because I'm me, I'm so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. We'll see that, that both of those kinds of logic are not very logical at all. That, that, you know, that all of these experiences come because of our own actions. So when we experience happiness, yeah, and we say, oh, that's the reason of my own virtuous activity in the past, that is not a reason to get arrogant. Yeah. Oh, I was virtuous in the past. I'm better than all those poor slobs that are suffering. No, that's not really suitable because if we look at our lives, how many times a day do we engage in negative actions? Yeah. Do you go one day without criticizing anybody? Think of it. Yeah? Can you go a whole day? This is a challenge. <laughs> go one whole day without saying anything mean or nasty or critical, either directly to somebody or behind somebody's back. See if you can do it. <coughs> For one day, all your speech has to be kind, appropriate, truthful, yeah, not for self-gain. See if you can do it. Okay? And then if you want to really up the app, you know, see if you can go one whole day without having a critical thought about something. That's even harder. Yeah. You go one whole day without having a critical, mean, nasty thought about somebody. Anybody. Doesn't have to be somebody special. Difficult. So, what I'm getting at is when we experience happiness and we see it's the result of our own virtue, there is nothing to get arrogant over. 
and there is no reason to think that we are morally superior to others. Okay, that's completely out of place. Similarly, when we experience suffering and we realize that that's due to our own harmful actions in the past, there's no reason to say, oh, I must be such a bad person, such a hopeless person, such a worthless person, because I must have created so much negative karma in the past. Yeah, that also is completely wrong way of thinking. Because, like I said, all of us have, you know, virtuous mental factors, and we have the ability to create good karma. Mm-hmm. So we should never, when somebody, whether it's ourself or another person, is suffering, never say, oh, that person deserves to suffer. It's their karma. What a horrible thing to say, you know. Oh, well, those people deserve to be poor because they were just stinting in their previous lives, so we don't need to help them. They're just experiencing the result of their negative karma. Too bad. That's a dreadful way of thinking. Totally inappropriate. Yeah. So, it's not that anybody ever deserves to suffer. It's rather that when we suffer, we created the cause for it. Okay? So cause doesn't mean deserve, and cause doesn't mean reward or punishment. So what we experience, our happiness is not a reward for our virtue, our unhappiness is not a punishment for our non-virtue. Because the whole language of reward and punishment imply that there's some manager of the universe who is rewarding and punishing. In Buddhism, there's nobody dishing out rewards and punishments. If there were, we should complain to that person. Why are you punishing? You're supposed to be compassionate. Why are you punishing? Compassionate people don't punish. They forgive. They teach. Yeah, we should complain. But, you know, in in Buddhism, there's no idea of reward and punishment. It's just an idea, the idea of causality, you know. If you plant daisies, you get daisies. Yeah, you don't get chilies. If you plant chilies, you get chilies. You don't get daisies. You don't get apples. So it's the same way in our own mind. If we plant non-virtue, we get suffering. That's just the result of it. If we plant virtue, we get happiness. That's the result of it. Okay? So, it's really something to get this whole thing about reward and punishment and deserving happiness and deserving suffering. All that kind of language that is very prominently used in our culture to completely get that out of your mind and look at things simply as causes and results. It's a big relief when you see things in that way. A huge relief. Because then you have the idea, oh, I can just create the causes. 
for the kinds of happiness that I want. Yeah. And it's very interesting. You know, when we experience misery or problems or things don't go the way we want, we always say, why me? Don't we? That's a big one. Why me? Or why did that happen to that person? They're such a good person. Why them? Well, when we understand karma, we realize it's because of some negative action somebody did. Not necessarily in this life, but in a previous life. And when we see that all of us have created positive and negative actions in different proportions, then it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. It's just the way things happen in that way. So why me? Because I created the cause. What I find interesting is when we have happiness, we never say, why me? Do we? We say, of course. Yeah, we say, of course. Give me more. I deserve it. Okay. But actually, our happiness is similarly a result of our own actions. So why were we able to eat breakfast this morning? Why are we able... We're going to be able to eat lunch, you know, soon. Because we created the cause to have food. And that being able, having the resources we need to stay alive is a karmic result of generosity. So due to our previous generosity, then it ripens and today we're able to eat. So then when we think about this, Does that mean, okay, well, I'm just going to eat and use up the result of my good karma and enjoy this life. Yeah, All my food's coming as a result of of generosity, so I'm just going to, you know, enjoy it and be as self-centered as I want and hold on to everything and not share. Does that make sense? doesn't make any sense at all. Because if we see that happiness comes from sharing and from being generous and being kind, then when we experience the result of happiness, we say to ourselves, oh, I want to create more causes that will lead to this kind of result. Yeah. So that motivates us, oh, I want to be kinder, I want to be more generous. When we experience suffering, when somebody criticizes us, or screams at us, or puts us down, or whatever. Yeah. Instead of getting angry at them, to think, well, this is the result of my own negative actions. It may may have been that I criticized somebody in this life. It may be that I criticized somebody in a previous life. But has anybody here ever gone, like I said, more than a day without criticizing anybody? No. So, of course, we're going to get criticized. We created the cause for it. It's it's no surprise. Why do we get so upset when we're criticized? When it's ourself who created the cause. If we don't like that result, then we've got to stop creating the cause that creates that result. 
So if we don't like hearing harsh, unpleasant words, we've got to stop speaking them. And, and we discover that getting angry at somebody else, oh, you're criticizing me, this, 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 we realize that's totally no use. Because the principal cause of our unhappiness of getting criticized is our own actions. The other person's just happen to be the cooperative condition. Because very often, we hear harsh words and are unhappy. When from the side of the other person, they aren't criticizing us at all. Yeah? They're just saying something. We interpret it as criticism. We interpret it in such a way that we get unhappy and offended. Yeah? We can't point the finger at other, others. We have to be responsible ourselves. So I think that's what's so good about knowing about karma. Is it really gives us um, a sense of responsibility and a sense of capability to create the kind of future that we would like to have. Not immediately, you know, but we, we can do things that will lead us to have the kind of happiness that we want. So it depends on how we think. It depends on us, you know, our own intentions, what's going on in our own mind. So it's not all just accident or favoritism or something like that. So I know for myself, this really came home, this whole idea of karma uh, came home to me very strongly when I was living in Nepal. Uh, in 1976, I got Hep A. And when you get hepatitis, you know, A, you are knocked out big time, yeah. And uh, I was really knocked out, I mean, just so weak. And going to the bathroom, you know, which was this dug-in <laughs> hole in the ground with two boards, you know, it was like walking all the way there, I might have, while I was climbing Mount Everest for the amount of energy it took me. And so I was just lying there, you know, and somebody gave me this book called The Wheel of Sharp Weapons, which talks about karma and what kind of, you know, when you're experiencing this, these are the kinds of actions that, that we did. And I was reading it, and I came to a verse about, you know, when your body is weak and racked with pain, it's the result of having harmed others. You know, specifically, having harmed them physically. And when I thought about that, then it was like, whoa, there's no reason to get mad at the cook for not washing the vegetables properly. I'm the one who created the cause for my sickness through my own disturbed actions in a previous life, probably. And so here it is ripening. And I don't like this result. So if I don't like this result, I better be really careful and not create the cause for it anymore. And so then, you know, when you take, for example, the precept to abandon, abandon killing, you are actively, you know, stopping to create the cause for illness and physical suffering. 
It may not manifest immediately in this life, but it will, you know, bring bring about good health and fewer obstacles in future lives. So it's for this reason that we uh, take precepts. Yeah? So on a basic level for lay people, there's five precepts to abandon killing, stealing, unwise and unkind sexual behavior, lying, and taking intoxicants. And then on top of that, then there's the eight precepts, like people wearing blue hat. There's the novice precepts, like Terry and Venerable Yeshi have. There's the full ordination that the rest of us have. So there's different levels of precepts that we take that help us get our ethical discipline under control. And the nice thing about taking and keeping precepts, no matter you know whether you do the five or the eight or the monastic precepts, is that every moment that you are not doing the, the harmful actions, even you're sleeping, you're creating virtue and positive karma. Yeah, by the force of having made that determination, let's say to not kill, then, you know, there may be people sitting in this room, none of us are killing right now. Some people have the precept not to kill, some people don't have that precept. When you, when you have that precept, then the force of that intention of I'm not going to kill is, you know, alive in your mind and it's creating virtue every moment, the virtue of not killing every moment. If you don't have that precept, you don't have that strong determination, so that that accumulation of good karma isn't happening. Yeah. So taking and keeping the precepts are really something very advantageous for us. And they act as, uh, they say, like a, a dam that keeps back the flood of our harmful actions, you know. Because when you make a when you take a precept, you're making a promise in the presence of, of the Buddha, in the presence of your spiritual teacher. And so that gives you much more uh, much more inner strength to to not uh, do something. So that was a little bit about karma. There's a lot to say about karma, but I wanted to leave uh, some time for some questions and Maybe answers. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about. Um, I've heard it said. I can't remember exactly where that. Um, you know, if you have something stolen from you, then you offer it to the person mm-hmm. so that they don't accumulate as much negative karma. And I wonder about how your own intention can affect someone else's karma. Oh, okay. So um, it's often said that if somebody steals us, steals something from us, you know, and we're not going to get it back, then to just offer it to that person. So your question is, how can our mental state affect somebody else's karma? Something becomes stealing. You know, when you when it's stealing, it has to be an object that belongs to another person. When we give up ownership of that object, then, you know, that we owned it when the person took it from us. Yeah. But by ceasing the owner, the sense of ownership afterwards, it, it lessens it. And more important for us 
it gives us the opportunity to be generous rather than sit there and go, they stole my pen, I want my pen back. Yeah, it totally releases our own anger and so it prevents us from creating negative karma in response to somebody else's stealing our things. Um, the main thing we can do for somebody else's karma is to encourage them to, to do constructive actions and discourage them from doing destructive actions. That's the best way. Because we all experience the result of our own actions. Yeah, so we can't purify somebody else's karma. Nobody else can purify ours. We can't give somebody virtue, they can't give us our, their virtue. But what we can do is influence others so that they create virtue and they don't create non-virtue. Yeah. So for example, you know, if you really love your family, don't ask them to lie for you, to cover up things you've done. Yeah. If you really love your family, encourage them to be generous. Instead of saying, oh, why did you give that money to that charity? Now we can't go out to dinner. You know, really appreciate it when, when they do something virtuous. That's the best way to help them. Yeah. If you want, if you want to do more, and, um, like, if you kill someone in war, but what kind of karma would you get? Mm. So if you kill somebody in a war, what kind of karma do you get? Well, it's killing. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and killing is, you know, harmful karma. So even if it's a war, that, you know, you accumulate that harmful karma. And you know, even if you're not the person who did the killing, if you rejoice that somebody else killed somebody, you get you accumulate negative karma. So even you don't do the negative action, if you rejoice somebody else did it, you're harming yourself by creating negative karma. Whereas if other people do good deeds and we rejoice, then we ourselves are accumulating virtuous karma. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if uh, you mentioned, you know, how it could be hard just going a day without thinking a criticism or something. Just wondering if, you know, if there's so much intention uh, about trying to cultivate virtues and yet continually seeing, um, you know, failings to do so, it probably could slip into hopelessness. But okay. Yeah. So if you see the importance of creating virtue, we see our own weaknesses, you know, in doing that. Then is it easy to slip into hopelessness? If you're thinking in the incorrect way, yes. But if you think in the correct way, you're not going to be slipping into hopelessness because you realize every single moment is a new opportunity. Yeah. And we, we extend some kindness and compassion to ourselves because we know we're creatures of habit. We know that when we have a habitual energy, we, we so easily flow in that direction. 
Yeah. So we don't excuse or rationalize our mistakes, but we can have compassion for ourselves because we created them. And at the same time say, okay, although I have habitual energy going there, I want to create a new kind of habitual energy that goes here. And because cause and effect works, if I do actions, you know, that are steering my energy here, very naturally, you know, it's like when you walk along a certain place, it gets well-worn, and your energy will start going in that new direction. That's I, um, I had difficulty with your story, that took place in Nepal, and I'm wondering why I had difficulty with it. Because I, I, I really, I like this idea of karma. Mm -hmm. I, I buy it. Um, but why couldn't that experience simply have been the random effect of you being in a third world country and eating an impure food okay. and having a sickness? Okay. <laughs> okay, so my So why isn't it just the random effect of, you know, okay, you go to Nepal, you go to India, you're going to get sick. Okay, well, not everybody who, because I was eating out of a, a kitchen, you know, not everybody who ate out of that kitchen got sick. Why did I get hepatitis and the other people who were eating out of the kitchen didn't? Is it just that, you know, they happened to skip that one potato that I happened to eat? Uh, highly unlikely, you know. Because when you look, you know, you see that we all have different experiences within the same milieu. Why is that? Today, you know, a few people at the Abbey are sick. Why them and not others of us? We're all eating out of the same kitchen. Yeah. I think we're all equally not so good at washing our hands. <laughs> Most people aren't so good at washing their hands. Yeah. So, so the thing is, okay, there was this, this, an external situation. But why did that external situation happen in reference to me and not other people who, you know, equally could have experienced that? Yeah. Well, it must be because I had some ripe, fertile karma that was, you know, ready to, to ripen and bring that kind of result. Mm -hmm. I think you told a story a while ago about um, your friend who went to Nepal with you, and it seemed like this something about your question has to do with like that we at certain points we have certain opportunities we mm -hmm. give ourselves certain opportunities for a certain type of karma to ripen. Yeah. Like I ha I might have karma in my life right now to or you know to um, for something to happen per mm -hmm. se, and I. If I don't want that, if I want the opportunity to purify that karma before it ripens, then I don't put myself in the situation where it could ripen. Right. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if you know that you might have negative karma on your mind stream, like all of us do, then it's, and you don't want that negative karma to ripen, then don't drink and then get behind the driver's seat. Get in the driver's seat. It makes sense, doesn't it? You know? And if, if you drink, and, and you drive, 
you're giving such an open opportunity for negative karma to ripen. Aren't you? Yeah? So very often we put ourselves in situations that give the opportunity for negative, negative karma to ripen. Could you explain why karma is more negative when we take a precept in front of a Buddha or a teacher um, than if you only do it like by ourselves, like by our own strong motivating determination? Oh, okay. Okay, so the question comes down to if you've taken a precept and then you do that action, is it more negative or less negative? There's different answers to that. One way of looking at it is it's more negative because you took that promise not to do it and it takes more energy to go against your own promise. In another way, they say that it's less negative because if you're somebody who's keeping precepts in general, then you're going to, to be doing purification practice and you're going to purify it so it doesn't have that kind of uh, effect. Yeah, so there's different ways of looking at it. You've probably heard that loaded questions question before um, about, um, you know, since everything's cause and effect, mm -hmm. uh, what about the six million shoes that were exterminated during World War II? I mean, is this, did they have some kind of a uh, uh, common karma that uh, yeah. Okay, we experience um, re just as we create causes in groups, we experience results in groups. Okay, I mean we're all, we're a group today. Yeah, why are we here? There's some people who wanted to come who didn't make it. Yeah, why are we here? Well, we created some kind of causal energy to be here together from the past. While we're here, we're creating some good virtuous karma because we're, we met for a virtuous purpose and we're do, doing something really wholesome. Yeah, which is going to bring a good result. Now sometimes we go, we enter groups that are formed for, uh, for creating non-virtue. Yeah, you and you know you join a gang. Yeah, or you join uh, you join <laughs> you you work on Wall Street. Um, <laughs> yeah, or whatever it is. You know, we join often join groups that are are formed for non-virtuous purposes. I'm teasing about the one on Wall Street. Supposedly it's neutral, but you know you might scheme together with a whole group of people to embezzle, you know, or you might plan together uh, with a whole group of people how to harm somebody. So that, that forms some kind of group karma. So in the case of World War II, you know, with, with all the people that died, um, they probably did something together that warranted their experiencing that suffering. But within all that horrendous suffering they experienced, some people lived and some people died. So that was because within the group karma, there's also individual karma. Yeah. 
So let's say within this group, some people may be thinking, oh, this is really interesting, you know, this is very helpful, I want to practice it, be more, more careful. And so those people with that thought, individually, you're creating some kind of good karma. Other people might be sitting there going, I'm hungry, why doesn't she shut up already? You know, I'm hungry, I want to get out of here, it's so boring, it's really stupid. You know, so within that group karma, that person's also creating some individual karma that's going to bring a different result. Okay, but when you look at it, you know, you look at a group of people who are terrorists, planning terrorist attacks, yeah, or even sometimes the army of a country planning its revenge and how to how to kill the enemy. So there's a whole group of people creating karma together. Yeah, and then it's very easy for them to experience that result together. In the same way that when we meet together for a virtuous purpose, we create good karma that we can experience together. So they actually say that when, when we meditate and practice together as a group, our virtuous karma is stronger. Yeah, because we're supported by the energy of everybody else, and we're also rejoicing the virtue of everybody else. Mm-hmm. Can I ask one more question? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm viewing karma right now mm-hmm. as, based on what we're, we're discussing, as something kind of linear. In other words, my, my individual karma or our group karma is affected by the past, Mm-hmm. And based on uh, our actions now, our thoughts now, they'll continue along into the future. Mm-hmm. Can karma be simultaneously parallel? Someone, you know what I mean? No. Um, <laughs> like, what's interesting to the example of the Holocaust? Uh-huh. Um, can someone's uh, view of what's going on in Germany or in Poland um, and their actions in the present affect you know what I mean? Yeah, well some people's decisions definitely affect the the events that happen in other people's lives. I mean we see that all the time, don't we? Yeah, somebody says something or does something that affects what happens in other people's lives. But each person is creating their own karma and experiencing their own result. I don't know if I'm answering your question. So, but I think you just did. Every mm-hmm. everyone is experiencing creating their own karma. Yeah. You can't create, can't affect anyone else's. Well, we can affect it in terms of, you know, if, if I encourage you to to do something virtuous, I'm affecting your karma in the sense that if you take my advice and you follow the, follow that, then you know it's your own actions are going to benefit you. Whereas if I say to you, you know, what are you doing? You come to this place, you sit and meditate, washing your belly button, you're young, you should go out and have a good time, you know, go drink and go to the disco and like that. And then, you know, and I steer you in that direction, that's going to be influencing you in a totally different way, isn't it? Yeah, so I'm not creating your karma, but I am influencing you. Okay. Is that actually the cooperative, uh, cooperative <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're creating the cooperative conditions. 
kind of relating back to her question. So we have the last well, question. Is, the, is everything created out of ignorance? I mean, if you do something, say, 20 years ago, and then all of a sudden it catches up with you 20 years later, if you did it completely out of ignorance, in other words, you didn't know that there was anything wrong with it, mm -hmm. how could that possibly be? Uh, Okay. You know, you know, sin, the idea of sin, if you committed the original sin, and now you're paying for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, if we, there's certain kinds of ignorance. For example, people who do animal sacrifice, they think that what they're doing is good, that it's going to bring them happiness, they're propitiating the gods. In actual fact, they're killing Okay, so in that kind of situation, even though they thought what they were doing was good, they're actually creating negative karma. So that kind of ignorance is going to bring a, a bad result. Yeah. Of course, if we're, if we're ignorant in a situation, and we don't realize that what we're doing is something harmful, it's going to be much less we're not going to create as much negative karma as if we realize this is harmful and we're really eager to do it. Yeah. So doing things accidentally, you know, accidentally stepping on an ant, you know, is not something that is a volitional action that's, you know, going to ripen in, the, in that same way as somebody who says, oh, here's a lobster, I really want to eat it, let's throw it in the hot water. Okay? So a lot about the uh, heaviness or lightness of a karma depends on our intention and our awareness of what we're doing. So we're going to have... Okay, this will be the last one. About <laughs> um, hunting, because, like, there's... I don't get it, but if you... Um, there's two different types of hunting, like trophy hunting and uh, hunting for food. Like, what's the difference between, like, common and stuff? Yeah, okay. So hunting because you're, you need food, and hunting just because... You want the head and the horns and everything like that. Well, there's a big difference in the motivation, isn't there? Yeah. And one is hunting just because they have to to stay alive. The other one doesn't have to hunt. They don't have to do it. They're quite greedy. Yeah. So there's going to be a difference in the result. Yeah. This person who may be hungry may kill, but they may actually kill with regret saying, I wish I didn't have to kill this animal to stay alive. I really regret killing it. So there, you know, the negative karma is going to be very small. Versus, let's say, a hunter who says, I can't wait to, you know, shoot that gun and kill that and get that trophy, and then everybody's going to think I'm a macho guy. <laughs> Good questions. Okay, so um, we're going to pause now and have lunch. So you're all welcome to a potluck lunch. And we'll just take a moment to dedicate the merit. Okay, merit, the good karma that we created. So it's on page 30. Due to this merit, may we soon 